0: Just shut the fuck up. Yeah. You know, and and that one point where Jimmy comes in and just wraps that fucking phone cord around (laughs) his neck.
1: (laughs) And and then Bori's wig is like off on the side, right? Right away, it comes off. He's got that piece of tape on his forehead to hold it down. Give him my fucking money. Give him my fucking money.
0: (laughs) Welcome to two maddening hours of horror and fright. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. Listen to
2: them. Children of the night.
1: What music they make.
2: Just fantasize. Without being ill.
0: I'm out of this fucking corn break Frankenstein, and I want to know what the fuck you're doing with my time! For us, to live any other way was nuts. And to us, those goody-good people who work shitty jobs for bum paychecks and took the subway to work every day, worried about their bills, were dead. They were suckers. They had no balls. If we wanted something, we just took it. If anyone complained twice, they got hit so bad. Believe me, they never complained again. Complained again. Complained again. Complained again.
2: Complained again. Hi, I'm Candy, the final girl. As far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a gangster.
1: (laughs) And I'm Dave German. I knew I'd go from rags to riches. Yes.
0: and i'm Sean of the dead go home and get your fucking shine box (laughs) it's just shine no more shines
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh and this is the house that screams uh tonight we're doing a horror business episode um we are doing goodfellas from 1990 and we're very excited to talk about this film um sean's gonna start us off
0: i'm gonna start this off uh just by saying that uh, the reason this is a horror business is because uh, – two reasons. Ray Liotta uh, starred in Hannibal, and we have a one-second scene with Tobin Bell from Saw. Um, he is in this – That's right. Uh,
1: we, that's right. We mentioned that, yes.
0: Very, Tobin Bell. very briefly. But I'm going to start out talking about this film. So I love horror, and I have you know my top-ranking horror films – but this film is one of the top-ranking favorite films of all time. Um, there is just something about this film that I absolutely adore. I've seen this film a hundred times. Um, everybody that listens to this show knows my love about horror and probably my love for true crime. But within that love of true crime is not just serial killers and you know psychoanalyzing and all that stuff – uh, about the murders, but I really love the Mafia. I love reading about the Mafia. Um, I brought out a book, which no one can see, but I will tell you about it. It is a <laughs> fucking tome. It's huge. It is huge. It is called The Five Families by Selwyn Rab, and this book is fucking amazing. I mean, it is like the entire history of the Mafia in America, uh, the formation of the five families, this and the other. But anyway, I digress. I love the Mafia. And this is one of those films about the mafia that really stood out with me. You know, it ranks up there with, you know, The Godfather, uh, Casino, um, just, you know, even even some of the older films from back in the day that, you know, I never would have watched unless Candy would have shown me, you know, uh, White Heat. Uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, you know, the old Eddie G films. And so this this film is is just fucking amazing. The cast is amazing. The, the movie is based off Nicholas Pileggi's book, Wise Guy, um, about Henry Hill. And, you know, there are a lot of differences, you know, between the book and the movie, things that they changed, um, rightfully so. Uh, but it, it's just, you know, this film is amazing. It's, in my opinion, one of Scorsese's best films.
2: I have to agree with Sean. Um I love gangster films. I, I really do. Um now I I was more like well versed in like, you know, bogey stuff and, and if you are a Humphrey Bogart fan, you know that he started out playing like these gangsters, like for so long he was typecast. But like when this movie came out, my mother showed it to me. I was eleven and i was blown away i'd never seen a martin scorsese film i mean i just oh, wow. didn't know movies could be this good and you know of course i'm just going to go ahead and address the how am i funny scene <laughs> that scene makes me sweat i'm so nervous and i and in it i know it's going to happen but it's like you just you get nervous about it because and and the cool thing about it is it's very authentic feeling because Martin Scorsese, you know, had heard this story from Joe Pesci, who I'll bring up briefly. Uh, this was nominated for six Academy Awards. Joe Pesci was the only one who won and that was her best supporting actor and it was deserved. But OK, so Joe Pesci had told Martin Scorsese the story about when he was a waiter and this mobster was saying like, you know, a very, a very similar scene. Like, how am I funny? I'm here to amuse you, you know, that the whole thing. And so, you know, Martin Scorsese, threw, you know, put they put it in. But he, he had only talked to Ray Liotta and Joe Pesci. So the rest of the cast around them, all the reactions are authentic because they had no idea that, that this scene was going to happen. And and when you go back and watch this movie, and I've seen it countless times, I could watch it countless more times than they will, even though it's three hours long. It doesn't feel three hours long. But, yeah, that scene, if you watch it, and you see that, like, oh, my God, these people have no idea that they're, you know, and everybody's nervous, everybody's sweating. Like, you know, Tommy, it, it, it's it's OK, it's, it's, it's cool. You know, he's just he's just breaking your balls, you know, it's, just, it's OK. Right. But, like, they, they don't he, know either.
1: They don't know either.
2: Yeah, they have no idea, but they're staying in character. But like, what the fuck is going on? And, and it's just like such an iconic scene in a movie full of iconic scenes. And. Uh, Yeah, like Scorsese. What's really funny that I'd also like to point out before I hand this over to you, Dave, is that uh, right before this film, Scorsese said, I don't want to do any more gangster movies. (laughs) Look at his career. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) I mean, um, this was 1990. But uh, one last little fact, when uh, Niggas... Pludgy who wrote a uh, wise guy after talking to Henry Hill and I'll talk about more about Henry Hill later. But, um, I mean, like Martin Scorsese saw the galleys of this, that, you know, the galleys are before, you know, the, a book is bound before it's completely edited. He saw the galleys and cold called Nicholas Pludgy and said, I've been waiting for this book my entire life. And Pludgy said, I've been waiting for this phone call my entire
0: life.
1: Yeah. Imagine being imagine being a, a writer and you get a call from Martin Scorsese saying, I want to make this movie. I mean, just imagine that. I mean, Martin Scorsese. It's, a, it's like getting a call from God. You know, I want mm-hmm. you to build the ark, build the ark. <laughs> <laughs> Been waiting for this phone call. <laughs> but uh, the thing about that, uh, the I'm funny scene, um, we were watching a documentary on this movie uh, yesterday to get ready. And it points out that it's filmed. It's it's shot in a in a medium wide shot like you it's not just it's not just a tight uh, just the two guys so you get to see the facial reactions of the various characters and, and the faces the the way their faces change from like light you know humor to like oh fuck you know their their faces that that just kills that scene the rea- the, uh, the unspoken reactions of the people around them yeah that scene that scene has become almost a, a meme of its own now and deservedly so but i think people forget when you actually watch the movie how powerful that scene is and you're and you're seeing uh, a little bit of character development there. It's like that they know that uh, Tommy is psychotic enough that this might be for real. Like they know that he's, a, he's such a a, a trigger happy nutcase that this could, he could really be pissed right now. And they're almost relieved when they all start laughing. When the, um, when Henry says, you yeah, get the fuck out of here. And they all start <laughs> laughing. Everyone else is like relieved. And then 10 seconds later, fucking uh, Joe Pesci smacking the Mater D in the head with a bottle, you know, and they're, so he's just it's just scene. that scene shows what how psychotic he really is.
0: Yeah. And you, and you take that scene and then you couple it with how he treats Spider. Oh,
1: uh, you know? yeah. that scene. I wanted to talk about that. The so always Yeah, that's very disturbing. That whole sequence, the, the, when he shoots him in the foot and then later on, when he plugs him like eight times with a fucking forty five, that's very disturbing. Yeah. Poor Spider was obviously a little slow minded, not, you know, the sharpest tool in the shed.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. Go ahead. Did Tell me about what do you. How do you feel about that scene? He told
2: Tommy what everybody else wanted to say. Go fuck yourself.
0: Yeah, and that. And the funny thing about that scene is too. That was the only scripted line when he says, "Go fuck yourself, Tommy." Like that was the only scripted line. Everything else was kind of ad libbed and and thrown together at the time, and it just brings forth that realism. Um, you were talking about, you know, the the unfunny scene. One of my favorite scenes in the film is, and and I love that scene, but the uh, the continuous shot through the Copacabana when he takes Karen there. And the reason that they did that was because they couldn't get permits to film in the entrance. And so they had to take this, you know, this pathway through the back. And I loved it because it shows, you know, I mean, it's a great scene, just just the continuous filming. But but it shows like, you know, all the people that Henry pays off. You know, as he's going through, he's slipping a 20 here and a 20 there. And and he goes in, and the maitre d is immediately like, you know, let's get a table. And they carry this table over, (laughs) put him right in the front. He's immediately, you know, greeted by other, you know, mobsters that are there, brought over a bottle of wine, you know, and it's just, it just shows like how important, you know, he is to this organization. You know, even though he wasn't. Uh, you know, really affiliated. He wasn't a member because he couldn't be made a member, you know, yeah, but. Yeah, because half, half Irish. But, but you know, he, he was an associate and he worked for him and they treated their associates like family.
2: Oh, I, I wanted to talk for a second about the character of Polly, played by Paul Sorvino. Um, I love <laughs> Paul Sorvino. Like, really, so I much. just love him in general as an actor. And he really had a hard time with this role because. You know, as wonderful as he pulled off kind of being this this boss, this this big guy, you know, the guy that, you know, was in charge of of all the shit, um, you know, he he's like, I don't know if I can pull off being cold and unfeeling and mean, you know, but he eventually decided to take the role. And I'm so glad that he did because I couldn't see anybody else doing this role Um, as Polly is just brilliant. And one of the, the scenes that really gets to me and and it's weird because the way that, that Scorsese puts this together is he kind of makes you care about everybody. Like you're not supposed to, these are fucking gangsters, mobsters, bad guys, bullies, murderers. But like that, when he always said, you know, I don't want to die in jail. And he was smart. Never talked on the phone. There were people that just <laughs> messages to Polly, like never talk on the phone, never do this. And he said, I don't want to die in jail. And he fucking did because of Henry. And that look that, that he gives Henry as they're taking him away in cuffs, man, it chills you to the bone, but it also makes you a little sad because you know, he's going to die in prison now. Like that line comes back to haunt you. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I'm so glad he took the role. Uh, it's one of many great fucking roles here. Um, yeah. And Ray Liotta, who was relatively, you know, a small player at the time he landed this role. And, and I can't imagine anybody else playing Henry, like, you know, and also, um, Al Pacino who, okay. There's always the, you know, are you Pacino person or are you a De Niro person? Well, I'm a De Niro person, but I love Pacino. But I don't think he would have been a good Jimmy the Gent. Like I thought, Robert De Niro had it for this role for Jimmy the Gent. I, I really do. No, I think I think, I think, kind of think of
1: um, Al Pacino would have been a good Tommy because he's got that sort of yeah, he has of like
2: energy, crazy energy.
0: And yeah, he well. just explode at any minute, you know. It's funny because Henry Hill said that that. Uh, um, Joe Pesci was about 90 to 95 percent of the real life Tommy DeSimone, which you know is the character that he played. But he said that the only difference was that, that the real life Tommy DeSimone was much more muscular in stature. <laughs> you know, but but as far as like you know the the personality and the attitude and and you know Turn
2: crazy on a
0: dime crazy as a motherfucker yeah that that was pretty spot on. Uh, I wanted to talk. You you had mentioned Paul Sorvino, um, the scene with him and Sonny Buns played by Tony Darrow, uh, the owner of the Bamboo Lounge, when he comes in and he sits down with with Paul Sorvino's uh, uh, character. And he's sitting there telling him, you know, that, that, you know, he's getting muscled by Tommy and this, that and the other. And, this, and, you know,
1: and he's got the thing on his head, he's got the bandage on his yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And,
0: and they, they had intentionally had him throw a couple of lines at Paul Sorvino that weren't scripted so that you so that Paul Sorvino would have that look of confusion on his face. And it worked. I mean, it like like Paul Sorvino was confused when he was throwing these lines at him because they weren't part of the script. And it worked out great. And interesting fact, I found out Tony Darrow, the actor that played Sunny Buns, actually worked at the Bamboo Lounge in real life when Henry Hill and, you know, uh, uh, James Burke and all them were were coming in there uh, in real life. So, I mean, he had firsthand experience of what it was like having those guys in there.
1: Did it really get burned out the way it shows in the movie? Did it really, is that how it really ended for that restaurant? I don't know that.
2: I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, probably that they did uh, for authenticity because you know Scorsese was uh, and and the actors themselves were all about the authenticity but for authenticity they hired real mobsters and so they're in scenes to give it more of an authentic feel I don't know which ones they are I don't know who's a a real mobster in that but um (laughs) but they I guess they gave them all they Social Security numbers and and So, so Nobody, they, I don't even think they got paid. Um,
0: well, I'm, they got paid. I'm sure they got paid.
1: <laughs> they somebody, table, got
2: paid. but like they, but like you know when they got listed, you know to to do the movie and get paid, they gave fake Social Security numbers. But yeah, real mobsters are in that. And they deal. paid.
1: They paid them in cartons of cigarettes and like frozen beef and shit. Probably <laughs> truck
0: <laughs> fur <for> coats. And.
1: <laughs>
2: Art dresses.
1: I, like, yeah. I love that he's gonna store the fur coats in the freezer with the meat. At that scene when he's like, "I don't need fur coats. no, no I'll take them. I'll just store them in the freezer with the meat." Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> That's the you know, that's the thing. Like, what I love about this film and and some of the other you know mobster films. Uh, Donnie Brasco's one that comes to mind. God, um, such a good movie. God. The I, I know I'm actually reading the book for that right now. The uh, uh, Joe Pistone uh, book, but. What's interesting about it and, and what you see in a lot of these is that mobsters like you have movies that glorify them. And I think that this one does to a point. And we talked about that in Pulp Fiction about glorifying crime and things like that. And I think, you know, I, en- I read about it because I'm fascinated with it. That lifestyle fascinates me just like. You know, hunting serial killers, not what serial killers do, but, you know, the the uh, psychological aspect of of what they do and why they do what they do. But with with the mafia, like how they come up with the schemes and there's always a scheme, there's always a scam and movies like this and Donnie Brasco really cover like the ineptitude of a lot of like real life mobsters because real life mobsters are really dumb as fuck. (laughs) <laughs> and they make a lot of stupid mistakes, and and a lot of them, right? And a lot of them get caught. But they will find a scam in anything. And one of my favorite scenes in in Donnie Brasco, which he talks about a lot in the book, is when they take those fucking uh, the meters, and they they steal the meters, and they they bring them back to the bar, and they're hitting them with a hammer to bust them out just to <laughs> yeah, the-
1: for, for for piles of dimes,
0: right? So, like anything to make a buck. Those guys. Anything. And those guys, Joe Pistone talks about in his book, like those guys could have wads of hundred dollar bills in their pocket, but they're complaining that someone stiffed them, you know, a twenty dollar bill, you know, because it's they never have enough and they will find. Any, yeah, that's a good any means of, of making money. And so, like, you know, with this whole thing and, and you know, leading up to the, the Lutonza heist, like that was the biggest fucking thing. You know, in the history of the mob at that point, like that was huge, a six million dollar take overnight. Like that was massive. And at that time, at that time, time, it was huge. I mean, and and still still unsolved. Right. Yeah. Still unsolved. I mean, they just just I think the last thing I read about it was, I think, back in 2014, there was a guy that was finally acquitted. Because he had been he had been brought in and charged with being a part of it. And they finally they, they could didn't have enough evidence and they ended up acquitting him. But, yeah, I mean, to this day, it's still an open case
1: because because everyone involved has been is been hanging in the back of a meat truck for, you know, three. Right.
0: Months.
2: That's why. It's
1: so- no one's talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one's talking.
2: Yeah,
0: And a lot of the bodies have never been found. Yeah. Which, you know, mm-hmm. it's the mob. Mm-hmm. Who's surprised?
2: Tommy's Tommy months?
1: body was never found uh. so, um, the scene um when that when um he takes um lorraine Bracco's character karen right uh, to the copa and that scene where they're like going through like you mentioned going through the back way the the back door and through the kitchen and 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 henry is like hey knows everybody that's like we're seeing from her point of view we're being swept along uh, by her that's her eyes like wow this is really impressive you know he knows, does this all the time and It's such a great scene. But the scene that uh, for um, Lorraine Bracco for me is the scene where she shows up at the cab stand after their second date when he stands her up. And she her her her, um, demeanor shifts from being absolutely enraged to like a little bit coquettish and like, oh, you know, that's some good acting. I was really impressed with her acting in that scene, the way she can shift that and make it believable that I'm really pissed at you for standing me up. And then she's like, oh, it's going to cost you a hill. She's like flirting with him almost by the end of that scene. Such a great scene. I love that all the other guys are like, oh, oh, you know, they're all yeah. just like.
2: <laughs> like she's <laughs> busting balls.
1: Right. And this chick just pulls up and starts screaming at him. That's a great scene. And I love that. That yeah. shows her her acting chops, too. Another, I mean, just everyone in this movie is at the top of their game.
2: Yeah, she's phenomenal. I, I this scene where you know that, you know, she's really finally sort of in love is when, you know, the guy that she knows kind of, like, groped her and, and threw her out the yeah, car. What was- and then he comes over, and it's just, like, this fluid, brutal shot of, you know, him taking out his gun and pistol-whipping the fuck out of that guy. just I mean, it's fluid. It just goes straight over, and he's just like, bam, 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 bam. And I mean, it's just, like, brutal. You're just like... I can't look and away. He,
1: he, hits him, he hits him like three or four more times than would be necessary. And then he gives him the one to grow on at the end. Bam. One to grow on, motherfucker. Yeah, like, and, oh. then,
2: and then he takes the gun and he gives it to her and he says, hide this. And then you get her narration and she's like, most of my girlfriends, you know, their boyfriend came over and, and told them to hide a gun. they'd break up with them. But it kind of yeah, turned yeah. me on.
1: And, and the, she was a little bit
2: just, into it. Their, their relationship is just so rocky and fucked up. And, you know, and of course he's screwing around and that that's real. Um, but I want to talk about Henry Hill for just a second. It, I don't know if you've read the book Wise Guy. Anybody who hasn't read it, I, I highly recommend it. Nicholas Pelleggi. Um, But uh, Henry Hill, um, Martin Scorsese really glorified a lot of things. Uh, Henry Hill was actually way lower uh, ranking guy I mean he was more of like a hanger on uh, he wasn't really as powerful as they kind of show him in the film and he was a fucking loser um, I mean just really like when okay like see at the end um, that real uh, you know attorney general that that's a real guy um, playing himself, putting him in the witness protection program, and they're well, he's a bronchial, and we don't want to go anywhere cold, and they're like, this is the fucking witness protection program! Do you want to die, or do you want to bitch? But, um, but they just had, um, Karen and her stayed together for a really long time, they finally got divorced. I mean, clearly, they were heading that way anyway, once they hit witness protection, you know, um, the Henry's exploits weren't, you know, flying by her anymore because they weren't living, you know, in this luxurious thing. And she was kind of a mess herself. And there's also a book, and I really wish I'd looked at the title previous to this, um, written by their children on uh, the movie. Um, it's shown as two girls. They actually had a boy and a girl. And uh, it's written by them. They live under assumed names. They're embarrassed because Henry Hill, they threw him out of witness protection after 10 years because he kept getting arrested and, and they kept having to move him because he would give away his location because he was so fame hungry and he wanted money and he was trying to still do schemes and you know a lot of times they were living you know these, these the kids talked about they were living in just like you know like a hovel you know because their both parents were on drugs and it was a fucking mess so yeah. Um, Henry Hill was actually a really big fucking loser. And as you can see, um, you know, like, it's like, Oh yeah, you never tell, you never rat on your friends and keep your mouth shut. Well, he could never fucking keep his mouth shut. He never could.
0: And he didn't have a problem ratting on his friends.
2: Clearly
1: to save his own yeah, ass.
0: Well, right. Just
1: save your own ass. So, you know, but that makes us all, what would we all do to save our own asses? Right?
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, and that brings up for me, Candy and I were talking about this, uh, before we started this uh, this call, um, you know, talking about the mafia, like my for me, the glory days of the mafia is Prohibition era, nineteen twenties, which is what created the the mafia that we know of today, organized crime. I mean, you can thank Lucky Luciano for that, for bringing together, you know, the commission and creating the the five families, um, and. It brought that organization because, you know, we're talking about prohibition. The government outlawed liquor and the people wanted liquor, you know, and so that's what the mafia did. We can we can bring this to the people and we can benefit from it by making a shit ton of money. And
2: They can make it glamorous
0: and they can make it glamorous. And that's exactly what they did. And so they were you know, the mafia was glorified in the 20s and 30s because they were able to bring something. That the people wanted, and you know, and they were like, "Fuck the government, fuck the police." You know, we've got this. We're going to get this to you. This that, and the other, and they made a killing off of it. But then once prohibition ended and and the Volstead Volstead Act was was repealed, like they had to find new means of of making money, and that's when they started to get into things like heroin and cocaine. And in my opinion, that was the beginning of the end. You know, not the end. I mean, the mafia still exists, yeah. um, but, you know, it was the, the downfall of that golden age. And so you get into the, the 60s and the 70s with the creation of the RICO Act. And once that RICO Act was created and they could punish, you know, some of these guys for, you know, extended stays in, in prison, that put the fear of God in some of these guys. So that whole idea of Omerta of not ratting on your friends, that went out the window. Because some of these guys started getting picked up and it was like, Oh, wait, I don't have to serve jail time if I just tell you so and so's name? Oh yeah, I'll do that. And so then that's where your Henry Hills and your Sammy the Bull Gravanos, you know, and all of these these famous, you know, mobsters who have flipped. Uh, that's What forced them into that situation was because the FBI finally found a way to fucking prosecute, you know, because for years, the FBI had no idea how to handle the mafia situation. The mafia was just way ahead of any type of law enforcement. They had law enforcement paid off. Hell, you had members in the law law enforcement community that were part of the mafia that were doing sanctioned killings for the mafia. So, you know, it it wasn't until the RICO Act you know, came about that, that people like Henry Hill actually flipped and started, um, you know, saying names and, and, you know, the whole idea of Omerta went out the window.
2: Uh, I don't know a lot about that. Um, I only know, um, what you tell me, which is very interesting. I've introduced you to some gangster films. And yeah. You've introduced me to some, uh, some real shit. Um, but I want to go at, back into this movie. Um, there are just, there's so many more scenes that I'd like to talk about. But, like, I think it's just... There is a, there is a glamorousness to this movie, in a way. Even though it's more brutal than stuffy Because they didn't show things. Because of all the coding back in, in, in Hollywood in the 30s. And that's when they were making stuff like The Roaring Twenties. And, and, you know, all these gangster films. You know, where they always... You know, crime had to pay. But, like, uh, you know, this, this is... Um, it, it, it there's a glamorous feel to it still to to some parts and uh yeah like uh, just with Lorraine Bracco's character you know she felt so overwhelmed because this was a male dominated cast and you know um Martin Scorsese told her you know you you just act like you know a star. You're the movie star of this movie, you know. And so she really felt like she had to bring it to every scene. And one of my favorite scenes with her, and it's kind of funny, but not real, is when <laughs> about Janice Rossi buzzing Janice Rossi Excuse
0: me, I want to talk to you. There's a <laughs> whore living in your building. And she's
2: hitting all the butts. <laughs> There's a whore in the Apartment 2B. And her name is Janice Rossi. And Janice is just crying. And honestly, like I thought she, she like Debbie Mazur makes her look like a dog. Like she was a prettier, <laughs> she was a prettier mistress. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then uh, another scene where uh, Lorraine Brocker brought it was where she's Right after that, with the gun. And it says, honey, put the gun down. And he's being really <laughs> And, you know, no. Do you, you, you love her? Well, no, of course I love you, honey. Now let's put the gun down. And she finally, because she loves him, she cries. And she puts it down. And he's like, don't ever do that. He would fucking like that. And I'm just like, I feel so bad for her. You know, it's like it, literally abuse. But she kind of knew what this shit was. She knew what yeah. she it was happen. If if she's told to hide a gun before they're married and she's it turns around, did she really think that shit like this wasn't gonna happen? And then also, uh really quickly, if I could bring this up, um, uh, where Polly is telling Henry, like when he gets out of jail, I know what you did in jail with the drugs and you did what you had to do. You're out now. Don't touch the shit. And he's like, I won't and he smacks him. No. Don't <laughs> do it. yeah. And then uh for my final little scene that I want to talk about um, is when um, Polly has to turn his back on him. I actually like want to cry, you know, because Ray Liotta's crying and it's just like a sad moment because, like, this whole life he just wanted to be part of Polly's crew and he was and he fucked it up and he fucked everything up and he's crying.
1: You know, and, and it is, was a little well, bit of father and a little bit of father and son there. too.
2: Yeah, because his own father was just beating the shit out of him. And, you know, beat
1: the shit out I love uh, I love um, that scene with Lorraine Baraka hold the gun to him, because how does that scene end? It ends with her screaming, I'm sorry. This yes, guy, that's abuse. Is, is a fucking right. That's abuse. He she's screaming, I'm sorry. That's so that's so telling. Just that little bit at the end of the scene um, and the scene where she is in the beauty parlor. When she's just starting to begin to realize what this life entails when she's with all the other wives and they are talking about how horrible their kids is, are and they want to how they beat their kids. And the one the one mafia wife's got the big shanker on her lip there. Oh, it's like yeah. it, it's just unpleasant. And she's like, oh, my God, is this what I want to be? That's also very telling. She's starting when she's starting to realize what it might mean to be in this life with this guy.
0: Yeah, I was. I, that's when she first started talking about Larry and Barack. I'm like, that's the, the scene that I thought about, because She's starting to get an inside view of what this lifestyle is like and what all these women deal with and the way they dress and how shitty their makeup is, you know. And yeah. And and, and, you know, and then the scene where they talk about like, you know, Friday nights are for the wives, Saturday nights are for the girlfriends, you know. Yeah. You know, and,
1: and and you know, the wives know it. They just don't say anything because, yeah,
0: you know, he's keeping them
1: in cash. Well, not Karen, though. Right, right. Right. She's the exception. Right. That's her. That's her journey is trying to decide if she's going to go along with it or not. You know?
0: Yeah. And the, and the, the scene that she mentioned with uh, uh, Paul Sorvino, when he tells him, you know, I know what you did in, in prison. You did what you had to do. But now that you're out, you got to stop. That was a common theme throughout most of the families in the mafia, you know, at that time, because you had you had a generational gap. You had a lot of the old old school bosses that had been around since the prohibition era and they were totally against getting into drugs. And then you had the new generation of, of guys, uh, the younger John Gotti type guys that they saw the drugs as a moneymaker and they were the, you know, drugs were a fucking moneymaker and, and it was an easy moneymaker. And, so you had, you know, a lot of the bosses and underbosses that were saying, absolutely not. We're not going to get involved in that. And you had a lot of the, the younger guys, the captains and the soldiers that were secretly doing that shit, knowing that if their bosses found out, they were going to get whacked. You know, they were going to get fucking concrete shoes and thrown in the fucking East River like
2: they were liability.
0: <laughs> but they did it anyway because they were making money, because at the end of the day, that's all that fucking mattered to these guys was money. You know and and so they did what they did and so then you get things like like uh, in the Gambino family Paul Castellano was ardently against drugs. John Gotti was all about selling drugs so he had Paul Castellano whacked outside of Sparks steakhouse and bam John Gotti becomes the dapper Don you know and it was all because he was making so much money on drugs and he knew he, he saw that as the future of the mafia.
2: But it was really been going on for so long. Think about like Lucky Luciano, uh, Al Capone. They were all fucking.
0: Oh, yeah. Drugs. They they all they all had their Once hands in it.
2: Alcohol was legal again. They're like um, heroin. So like heroin, you know, I remember in the 90s, it's like, oh, the new drug. It's like there were like jazz musicians doing heroin in the 20s. Like, I don't know, what oh, you
0: know.
1: know. I i think all of them probably. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and they all had their hands in you know everything. Look at look at Meyer Meyer Lansky and and Bugsy Siegel. They're the reason Las Vegas is what it is today. Yeah. You know they went out to Las Vegas and created. You know what started with the flamingo and and all of these other casinos. Those a lot of those casinos were mob controlled for a long fucking time.
2: Good friends of Frank Sinatra also mob controlled. Frank Sinatra was like he was connected. No, he was bossed around by the mob. He was affiliated, but he wasn't anybody important. They bossed him around.
0: Yeah, but I digress because you're getting me off topic.
2: Sorry, I get excited. I, no, no. We,
0: Go for it. Baby. We, we start talking about the mob, and I, I just I can talk about all kinds of stuff. But, but the one interesting thing about this film uh, that does tie to to the rest of the mob families is that all of the mob families actually had a hand in the the Lutonza heist, and they were all getting paid off with the money that that came out. So the Gambinos, the Bonanno family the Genovese family, the Lucchese family, they all had a hand in this. So they were all getting paid off.
2: And Hill was part of the Lucchese family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He worked for the, for, for Paul. Uh, well, he was Paul Cicero in the film, but he was really Paul oh, Barrio right. in in real life. But, uh, but yeah, they worked for the, for the Lucchese's, but you know, they still, I mean, they, a lot of those families, you know, that's why they call it organized crime. Cause a lot of those families work together. You couldn't do something in another person's territory without, getting permission from the commission, you know, the, all the bosses uh, that got together. So
2: and that leads me to, and I'm sorry if I'm infringing on you, Dave, just give me one sec. That, that leads to the scene where Tommy finally gets it because to, you know, um, Billy bats, that whole scene, get your fucking shine box, you know,
1: <laughs> love that scene. Oh, my everyone God. loves
0: that scene.
2: Great scene. um, but, yeah, um, he, they kill a fucking made man,
0: which that's how the movie fucking starts. Yeah. You and know, and it, you don't really realize it. Right.
2: talk about just really quickly a scene that I love to talk about. And this ties back to horror, that, that very opening scene where they're in the car, you, something they hear like a, a bump. You don't know what the fuck it is the first time you see this movie and they go back, unlock the trunk. There he is. He's, oh, shit, he's still alive. And Tommy has that fucking knife that he took from his mom's house. And when he when <laughs> Pesci stabs, it is one of the most frightening things I've ever seen. And I watch horror movies for fun, but that the way he stabs is it, like, uh, uh, uh. Like,
1: it's it's very reminiscent of Candyman. Well, it's, it's giving you an, a very early uh, insight into Tommy's character. The fact that because then Jimmy pulls out a, a gun and shoots the guy, like, which would have been any normal person would have done. We want to get this guy dead. Let's just shoot him. But no, Tommy's got this comically long butcher's knife. I don't know if they even make butcher's knives that long. I think it was like 14 inches long. And he's, sure stabbed him. and he's like, die, you fuck. Any normal person would have just shot him, but Tommy has to stab him with his but knife. It's way- so brutal. And the way that, uh, that Billy Bats twitches with each knife stab, he does this little kind of his body kind of twitches. It's very it's awful. And it's like that's the very beginning of the movie. You're like, okay, we're in. I'm in. And then
2: yeah, and then goes back to my quote, as far back as I can remember, always wanted to be a gangster.
1: Right, like- which 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 is what which is uh, Scorsese's brilliance is he shows you this brutality. And then he takes you to this innocent kid who has these, you know, childhood fantasies of being a gangster. And so you've seen the reality of it and you see this kid wanting to get into it. And you're like, you want to like almost grab and say, no, this is what you want to show him. This is what it's going to lead you to. But, you know, you can't because you're an outside observer. That's Scorsese's brilliance.
0: The late, great Frank Vincent. That guy has been in so many fucking mob movies. And, you know, (laughs) one of my one of my favorite I've got two favorite mob shows, The Sopranos, And Boardwalk Empire, Boardwalk Empire being about the prohibition, which right up my alley. But the fucking Sopranos, like there are so many actors in this film that are in the Sopranos. Like, it blows my mind. Like, you know, Spider Michael, Michael Imperioli. Uh, Yeah. You know, I mean, you get Polly Walnuts is in there at some point. Like, I mean, he's just got a small like like background role. But uh, Lorraine Bracco. Who she plays the psychiatrist in the Sopranos? Like, I mean, it's just there's so many people in this that are in the Sopranos. Like, it just blew my mind. Like when I went back and rewatched it after I watched the Sopranos, I was like, holy shit, there are so many fucking actors in this. But uh, it, yeah, Frank Vincent as Billy Batts is just fucking great. Um, and and uh, there was something there was an oh, um, two things I wanted to talk about. Um, fuck, uh, Maury's wigs. <laughs>
1: I love him, Maury's fucking
0: wigs. So so there apparently there was a uh, a guy who had made commercials like that back in the day that Martin Scorsese had was familiar with uh, as he was growing up. And so he had contacted him and had him come out and had him actually direct that Maury's commercial. And that was the very first thing they did, the very first first piece that they filmed was that commercial for Maury's wigs. And how fucking cheesy was that? he jumps in the pool. Yeah. (laughs) And, and but, but you know, the, the, the guy that played uh, Morris, like, I mean, it just, it was so like fucking cheesy, you know what I'm saying? And every time he saw, he saw Hank or Henry and he saw fucking uh, uh, Jimmy, where's my money? Where's my money? I need my money. Give me my money. Like I was yeah. So you just want to, to grab it.
1: Just shut the fuck up. Yeah. You
0: know, and, just, and that one point where Jimmy comes in and just wraps that fucking phone cord around his neck.
1: <laughs> and, and then Bory's
0: wig is like off on the side, right? Right away. Yeah. He comes off. He's got that piece
1: of tape on his forehead to hold it. down. Just, yeah. Give him my fucking money. Give him my fucking money.
0: And then, and then the, I, I, I cannot forget to mention, um, my man, Samuel L. Jackson as stacks.
2: Yes. It yeah. Like-
0: and my man gets whacked, uh, rightfully so. He was supposed to ditch the fucking truck, but he didn't. He left it in front of his girlfriend's house, which is, you know, all that's true. Really, did happen.
1: Yeah, I uh, was that. Really, that's really the way it went down, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the and the FBI had found it like a couple of days after the heist, and they pulled fingerprints from it. So yeah, um, but you know, seeing him in here just briefly, that was cool. Um, so many, there's so many fucking great actors in this.
2: Okay. Um, I want to talk about I. I talk a lot of shit. Um, and on our last episode, I certainly did. Um, about Siskel and Ebert uh, because they really, really hated horror and they campaigned against horror, telling parents, you know, corrupting the youth and it's depraved shit. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck you. I don't like people telling me what to do. But, um, but Rob did wisely point out that uh, they. They did have great um, critiquing and, and um, you know, could see things in cinema that um, were brilliant. And, and he's right um, on other things. They just hated horror. And I, didn't, I think as a, a film critic, you should have to include all genres. But, you know, what can I do? But but they named this the best, their favorite film of 1990. Um, so I will give them thumbs up for that. Um I just, I don't like how they hate horror, but whatever. This is a fucking brilliant film. And, and anybody who doesn't think it's brilliant, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like me, it's not like I condone this kind of stuff. I don't condone the shit that goes down in horror movies, but it's a fucking movie. And if you don't like it, don't watch it.
0: Well, we'll, we'll get into that when we get into Sean's shitty reviews, because I've got I've got some fucking stinkers for you. Well, another another great scene is uh, after. They, uh, they get Billy Bats in the trunk and they, they go to uh, Joe Pesci's mom's house uh, or Tommy's mom's house and, you know, played by Scorsese's mom. And he intentionally <laughs> didn't tell her that, you know, Joe Pesci's character had killed someone. He basically told her, like, they're just coming over for breakfast. And so she really had no idea what they were talking about in the scene. And... Um, when when they talk when he talks about like he needs a knife uh, and then uh, uh, Robert De Niro's character says, you know, something about the hoof being caught in the, the grill He
1: calls it a part. He says, the paw. yeah,
0: yeah, that was all ad that was all ad lib. None of that was scripted. And, you know, and it just adds to the authenticity. It adds to that, you know, like like his Scorsese's mom's not an actress. You know, but he put her in here because he wanted her to be a part of one yeah, of his films. He
2: Basically, told her like that your son's coming home. You haven't seen him in a while. You're going to make him and his friends some food, and you're going to show you the painting. And
0: okay. that, and that painting, that painting is actually a painting from uh, Nicholas Pileggi's mom, uh, the uh, author, oh, really? nice guy. And uh, and then you also get to see Martin Scorsese's father is also in this. Um, in the prison scene, when they're in there cooking uh, cooking that big meal, he's the guy that's making the sauce, oh, wow. and, and he is also uh, one of the two guys that leads uh, Tommy in when he gets whacked. Uh, he is the guy that does not pull with, the trigger.
1: With the cane, the guy with
0: the yeah. cane. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's that's the beauty about when we cover these films and we start digging into the trivia. You find all this interesting shit about the film that, you know, the the behind the scenes stuff that you didn't necessarily know about. And I love that shit. I love reading about that stuff.
2: Yeah. And this was um, I don't read about this type of stuff too much, but my mom likes to read. She has very similar taste to Sean in reading and um so i had read wise guy and uh you know i have read a couple of things and uh so i was familiar um with henry hill and this whole story and god at that point that motherfucker was just everywhere like like he was a superstar and i'm like dude people could still kill you he didn't care He, he was a dumb ass let me tell you this dude and he was trashy and what they don't show you in that witness protection program scene it's in the book is two of his mistresses wanted to come with <laughs> them.
1: be boy that'd be uh, really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, well, the, I wanted to say just one thing about this movie that uh, occurred to us while we were watching it is the food, all the scenes with the, so many scenes with Italian cooking, like we we're talking about with uh, Scorsese's mom, she says, let me just make you something to eat And then they, they pan back and it's like it's like 14 dishes on the kitchen table. And then all the scenes with the sausage and peppers and onions and the marinara. Oh, my God, this movie makes Polly me so hungry. Paulie cutting
2: the garlic with
1: a razor. And and that's, you know, the town I grew up in was mostly, most of my friends were Italian kids. And so I would eat over a lot. And that's the food. It's just this just uh, unending uh, uh, amounts of pasta and sauce With sausage and peppers yes. and onions. And God, Spreads. I got I some then oh my god and you're just so fucking
2: full and you have wine in you and i like my adopted uh father his family's italian so i grew up you know going to like you know roman catholic church and and go into those get-togethers and it was just so much fucking food
1: yeah, and yeah, it's so much it's so good much meat. It's, it's good all but meat it's like, and bread and
2: just oh I'm yeah all that shit that about. you're not supposed to eat and it's just delicious
1: and that's and that whole scene, that whole sequence at the end, at the very end of the movie, when Henry Hill is obviously coked out and paranoid, he's talking about cooking. I got to get. He's talking about I got to make the cutlets for an appetizer and get the sauce. And he's got his brother in the wheelchair stirring the sauce. And that whole sequence at the end, it's, it's like he's he's paranoid about the helicopters, but he's still got to make the food. It's all and about he's the making food. the
2: meatballs, right?
1: He's making those meatballs all the time. He's, he's, his nose is red from all the cocaine he's been doing with that girl. It's just. The, the, that, the way the food is incorporated into this, it's it's amazing
0: that whole scene and that sequence of events like I mean that, you know, that shows you like the downfall of somebody that's coked out, you know, and, yeah. and somebody that's that's dealing in drugs and shit. And it's just the, the paranoia with the fucking helicopter, and you're like on the edge of your seat because it's like you're you're right there with him in the car. And he's looking up, and he sees the helicopter, so he's freaking out. And then he doesn't see the helicopter, so he's cool. And they go to her mom's house, and they stash the guns. And then they, they leave, and they go fuck around for a little bit, and they come back, and they get the guns. He takes the guns. Jimmy doesn't want the fucking guns. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Right. You know, he's stuck with the guns. And so now he's got to sell the guns to the guy that he gets the fucking coke from, you know, and it's just this, this fucking madhouse. And, now, and, and her, the
1: babysitter won't fly without her fucking hat. It's just like this With her hat. They
2: were going to get popped
1: I, anyway because she had been making the fucking calls from
2: there. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's what happens just, with drugs. You get stupid.
1: Yeah. yeah the and that whole sequence makes you makes you realize what it might be like to be totally coked up. It's just this frenetic editing jagged, you know, shots and up and down and blah, The funny know?
2: thing about it is uh, Ray Liotta had a hard time doing that because he had no idea how to act like that. He had never done those type of drugs or anything, so he had no idea how to act and I thought he'd be fucking amazing.
1: Yeah, the oh, makeup yeah. is great too. The way that his hair gets more like he becomes like Victor Frankenstein. His hair gets all big yeah. and he's got the red and his eyes are all watery and it's just... It, he's, it, all, it's just
2: he,
0: he's all disheveled. Yeah. <laughs> And, Disheveled. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, it, with her making the phone calls from the house, like, that's another thing. That's another downfall of the mafia is the FBI started to become more technologically advanced and they were starting to find ways to get bugs inside of people's houses, bugs inside of their phones, tapping, you know, phone lines, things like that. And
1: hey, what did what did Paul? He, Paul, he didn't want phones. He didn't like phones. He never know, used like,
0: the phone and, and he used phones. Messages. It and
1: it was all convoluted.
0: And those were the those were the I guess. Not to glorify it, but those were the smart ones the in, smart. in the mafia. You know what I'm saying? The ones that they worked in, you know, coded messages and sending verbal messages, you know, things like that. They didn't use the phones. They were the ones that like, you know, let's take a walk. You know, let's, let's – <laughs> because the place could be bugged. You know, let's not get in the car. The car may be bugged. You know, I think of the scene in Donnie Brasco where the dude gets in the car and rips his fucking dash off because, you know, Lefty, when he's looking under the fucking dash to make sure there's not a fucking bug in there. You know what I'm saying? So, like, like a lot of these guys, they were fucking paranoid, you know, and rightfully so because they
2: – A lot of car
0: Yeah, a lot of car bombings. And, you know, which – Casino, one of the best. Yeah, that opening. Never. Yeah. And another, another
2: Scorsese film.
0: And that was another book written by Nicholas so, Pelleggi. And, it and was another Joe Pesci, you know, Pesci. Tour de Force. Oh my God! Yeah.
1: the pen. Oh my God. With the pen. The pen. Yeah. Is that a little girl? Yeah. Is that a little girl I hear? Oh God! Yeah. Yeah. That that. Uh, Scorsese's got an eye for that. To, to bring to make the violence real for you. It's not comic. It's not like commando or, you
0: know, it's real. It's just like it,
1: he's it, stabbing a guy scary. with a fucking fountain pen. In yeah. The throat with a fountain pen. Yeah. You know? I,
0: get, I gotta say, and I know we're not covering Casino. We're covering, you know, uh good fellas. So, they're so, they're but, so intertwined. But I gotta say, on, on par with the, the how am I funny scene, is, is Joe Pesci's scene in Casino when he's like, for instance, tomorrow morning, I'll get up nice and early, take a walk down over to the bank and walk in and see, and uh, if you don't have my money for me, I'll crack your fucking head wide open in front of everybody in the bank. And just about the time that I'm coming out of jail, hopefully, you'll be coming out of your coma. And guess what? I'll split your fucking head open again, because I'm fucking stupid. I don't give a fuck about jail. That's my business. That's what I do. Like that that whole fucking scene, (laughs) I love that fucking scene. (laughs)
2: I remember, you know, when when he comes to his demise and that, yeah, it terrified me. Yeah, it fucking terrified me. You talk about
1: casino in the desert. That's, yes. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. The way that you can see that he's still breathing when this when the sand hits his face, and you see that they're still breathing. I'm
2: yeah. About- so, like, yeah. but I mean, it was a haunting scene. But you know, casino is always talked about when we talk about Goodfellas, so it was kind of natural for it to come up. And, I, and I'm sitting here telling y'all these, these scenes that terrify me. And we talk about horror films, we talk about exploitation films, we talk about horror films. And how many times have you ever heard me say I was scared? You don't really right. ever hear me say it. But yeah. I'm telling you, I was fucking scared at parts of this movie. I was fucking scared at parts of Casino.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of scenes that, that get you to the edge of your seat, you know, and like, you know, when, like that, like we were talking about the, the, the paranoia scene with with Henry Hill and the helicopter. Like, I'm paranoid right there with him, you know, and, and another that, that's another great scene with Lorraine Bracco when the cops all show up at the house and she frantically grabs that cocaine and runs <laughs> to the toilet and, and is, you know, flushing it. And then his the gunner panties and the gunner panties. And then the reaction when Henry, you know, comes home and he's looking for the cocaine and he, she tells him that, you know, well, I flushed it. And he is he fucking loses she's it. Right. Yeah. You see, he loses it. And she's laying there fucking crying because, you know, he's freaking out because that's all they had, you know, and that's that's another thing with the mob is like. You know those guys, those people. They, they invested their entire lives in in these schemes, and when those schemes didn't work out, they ended up owing money to somebody.
2: And you don't want to end up owing
0: money. Yeah, and you don't want to owe money to somebody in the mob because, you know, like I said earlier, that's how this whole Latanza thing happened. So you know, you have uh, um, I can't remember the actor's name, uh, Mike Starr, I think was his name. Hold on, give me a second. Yeah, Mike Starr. <laughs> Mike Starr, that played played uh, Frenchie, um, who was the security guard at the for for the Latanza heist. Um, yeah, so that was played out differently in the film than it was in the movie. Um, in the film, you know, Frenchie's the the guard, and he tells him, you know, he's the only night watchman there, and this, that, and the other. Uh, in reality, there were probably about ten to twelve employees that were there that they had to the, the guys had to you know. At gunpoint and, and, you know, make them sit until they they rob the place or whatever. In reality, uh, one of the, the guys that worked for Latanza at the airport, he owed uh, Jimmy Burke money and like tw- something like $20,000 in debt. And so that's, you know, some of these guys like like you owe me $20,000. Well, instead of paying me that $20,000, how about you give me the information that I need? to get $6 million. You know what I'm saying? So, and that will nullify information is, you know, that's power right there. Yeah. Knowledge is power. And, and this, you know, so this guy had information. He was like, look, you know, I know I owe you $20,000. I'll tell you what, I will let you know when this 6 million in unmarked bills and, 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 you know, jewels or gems or whatever it is that comes in and you can hit it and we'll nullify whatever I owe you. And that's essentially how that whole heist started out.
2: Again, and in
1: history,
0: yeah, it's still unsolved.
1: Yeah. yeah, just like I said before, because everyone who was involved has been dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either national <laughs> closures were whacked. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and there were a lot of people. There were about seven or eight people that were whacked over this within that that first year.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I wanted to mention is uh, we, we haven't talked about De Niro's character, Jimmy, mm. just how uh, and his connection with um, Henry, because they were both outsiders. I guess Jimmy was full on Irish and Henry yep. was half Irish, so they could never be made. So they had that connection. But just how smooth uh, Jimmy is. He's like when he would when first did? see him, he's got he's wearing that like sharkskin suit and the beautiful tie. And he's handed 20s to everybody. And uh, something that uh, uh, Crystal mentioned to me that I didn't notice is that his his watch and his pinky ring always match whatever suit he's wearing in every scene. He's a stylish fucking guy, right? He's the Jets. Yeah. Yeah, he's, I just love his character. And that's De Niro, who, I mean, it's such a cliche to say, oh, De Niro, he's great and everything. But fucking De Niro is great in everything.
0: <laughs> he really is.
1: It's a cliche
2: because it's true. Yeah, I mean, that's where cliches come from. Because um, there's an element of truth. Um, but, you know, with... Uh, with Jimmy, I was talking about a scene with him that I thought, you know, De Niro. Oh, man, it just it's it's so fucking powerful. Like, he's so excited that Tommy's going to get made. He keeps calling and yeah. calling. And then when he finds out that they killed him because, you know, they're like, there was nothing we could do. Like, you know, basically, Paulie sold him out. But Tommy was a fucking liability anyway. And. You know, it was like, do me a fucking favor. He killed a mad guy. Yeah, I kill him. Um, but you know, Jimmy and just starts crying. You know, Jimmy who's so smooth, like you're talking about smooth, stylish Jimmy, yeah. and and he starts crying and, and just like slamming the phone down. And it's just like this powerful scene gets you right in the chest. You're just like, not so much because you want to cry too, but just like, holy shit, I didn't know Jimmy could. You know, you can see him be brutal. You can see him be cool. You can see him be whatever. But he never saw him break down and fucking cry.
1: Well, he's crying. He's crying for two reasons. He's crying because Tommy was his friend and they had done so much stuff together. But also because being an Irishman, he could never get made. Tommy was his in. That was his connection to being inside. And so he's realizing, you know, we're fucked now. You know, we don't have Tommy on our side. But I also did some research on
2: that, and the thing was, is that Jimmy was just as liable to be whacked, even more so, um, but she, Jimmy was an earner, so they weren't, you know, so when Paulie had to give somebody up, Tommy was a liability, um, Jimmy was a constant earner, and he had status, you know, even though he was, he could never be made, he wasn't Italian, but... He was um, much more powerful, um, much more um, even tempered, you know, where it's, I mean, obviously he'd be brutal, but it's the fucking mob. Um, but, you know, so he had to give up somebody. And so he gave up, yeah, he gave up uh, fucking Tommy. And I understand why. I would too. If, yeah. I, had to, if I had to make the choice between Henry and, uh, well, I'd have to think about Henry. But, <laughs> you know, even Henry was, you know, he knew his fucking place. You know, for the most part, Paulie said something. He usually did it until later when he got extremely stupid. But, um, yeah, with Tommy, Tommy was a fucking wild card always.
0: Yeah. And the thing with Tommy, too, I mean, you got to understand, like, he whacked Billy Bats and Billy Bats was a made man in the Gambino family. And yeah. that's a big fucking no-no. And that's part of the, you know, the commission and why. The commission was formed. Was that if you had a beef with somebody in another family, you had to come to the bosses and get permission to do shit like that. And he didn't get permission, he just straight up did it. This and
2: crazy
0: because he was fucking crazy. And you know, that's a big no no. And so that's why you know, Paul gave him up. And yeah, because Jimmy was an earner, because at the end of the day, that's what's important. You know, the bosses. The bosses insulate themselves. They don't do anything. They let all of their captains and their soldiers do all the work and they get cuts of all of it. Any any piece of action that goes down, they get a cut of it. So the soldier, whatever money he makes, he gives a cut to the captain. Whatever the captain makes, he gives a cut to the boss. You know, and that prevents the boss from getting in trouble because he doesn't have it, you know, his hands aren't getting and dirty.
2: Also the bosses get tribute. Like when they they would pull off robberies so or heist They would right. Kill. Yeah, they'd automatically. They'd, his
0: they'd automatically get a cut no matter what, and you know that's why you know being the boss being the boss pays. I mean you know you don't have to get your hands dirty. Um, one it's good the- to be the king. <clears throat> that's right. That's right. But you know heavy is the head that wears the crown too. Also yes. <laughs> um, one of the interesting things about Robert De Niro's character, you know Robert De Niro playing Jimmy, is that he was calling. Um, the real life Henry Hill constantly asking him questions about Jimmy, the real life Jimmy, about how'd he, smoke his how'd he smoke his cigarettes, how'd he hold his cigarettes, um how'd he dress, the pinky ring and the watch. He had he had a pink ring and a watch for every outfit. You know, I mean he wanted to nail that character to
2: the ketchup part.
0: To How the ketchup part. Catch up? How did he get the ketchup he out of you know, that out. To me, that is the testament of a great fucking actor like I'm going to portray this person. I want to portray him all the way down to how he holds his cigarettes and how he gets his ketchup out of the bottle.
2: Whereas Scorsese did not want Leota to talk to Henry Hill he wanted to mold him as an actor because he had seen him in like Field of Dreams and some other things. And he wasn't like, you know, a star yet. This movie made him, you know, it was a starring role and he wanted to mold him as an actor. So he didn't want him to have any, he didn't, don't talk to Henry Hill, you know, just do what I tell you basically. And and it worked out brilliant, I think. And before we do Sean today, which is coming up, is there any other scenes that we haven't talked about that anybody thinks? Should
1: be brought up uh, deep. I just want real quick about uh, Samuel Jackson's character of uh, Stax, which just his, his character was just there to show what happens to you when you're sort of an ancillary player, but you're no longer uh, necessary. They he kills you with no thought, no remorse. Make the coffee to go. It's just it, it's it just it's just brutal. And then his death scene is also equally brutal. The uh, the the way that they splatter the blood on the white sheets. It's just. Yeah, his character was was so pathetic and you know, they loved you when you were playing guitar, but once you became a liability, they'd kill you without a
0: second thought. Yeah. And that was and that's, that's right. the, and that's the thing like, you know, they were using guys that weren't even really associated with them. They just kind of hung around, you know, and and that's the world of the mafioso. I mean, it was, you know, you had your guys who were small-time thieves, small-time crooks. And they were hangers on. hangers on and they were part of that criminal underbelly. And so they'd use you for what they could get out of you. But then when you were no longer needed, you know, or, you know, in his case, yeah, he fucked up. Like he was supposed to he was supposed to drive that that truck to New Jersey and leave and burn
1: it burn it or something, burn it. torch it or something.
0: Yeah. And, and he didn't. And he, was not he, he fell he was asleep, on drugs. I
1: think. And he yeah, he, he
0: like went back to his girlfriend's house. And, you know, he was probably just thinking about getting laid and, you know, cost him his life. And do I glorify that? Absolutely not. But, you know, that's just that's the world that, that these people choose to live in. And that's, you know, the consequences of your actions.
2: Um, this is just a movie filled with brilliant scenes. I'm trying to think of another favorite of mine uh, when there are so many. I'm like, OK, what what's another great one? Um, if I can
1: just write quick the scene where um after they do the Latanza heist when like the one dude shows up with his wife in the pink Cadillac and Jimmy yes. is, it's it's comedic that scene is comedic there's some uh, comic relief in a totally it's and that's another scene like where uh, the uh, dynamic changes like where you have realized Jimmy is really really mad yeah you know and th- and then and so he the guy goes up and then the next dude shows up and his wife's in a mix stole <laughs> yeah. he's like what. The? It's comedy. That's comedy. Yeah. It's it's comedy. You know these motherfuckers are gonna get whacked, and it's, well, it's yeah. funny, oh, You're but it's not now. that funny. Yeah, I just love that scene. It's so and it's so funny. The, a
2: scene that I like to bring up is near the end with Karen when she goes to Jimmy for money, and he's like, "Hey, I've got some Dior dresses. They're they're down there. You want to And she's he, like, oh, from my mother, you know." And she she walks <laughs> <My> down there <laughs> and. Uh, She's she's like starting to get creeped out. And he's like no no further in there and she kind of goes and she listens she's like no 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 like was he going to have her killed? I absolutely believe it.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask that. What do you like what do you think? Yeah. She was a liability. Yeah. So like she if she had walked in there, liar. he had guys there ready to kill her? Yeah. Oh he yeah, absolutely. Absolutely murdered no, the fuck out of her.
0: No different than, you know, the scene you see where where Henry meets, you know, Jimmy at the the diner. And Jimmy wants to send him to Florida. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, he knows that if he gets in that car and he goes to Florida, he's never coming back.
2: He's like Jimmy had never sent me on a hit before.
0: Yeah, that would that would be the end of him. And that was what, you know, caused them to decide, you know, we need to fucking get out of this life. And, you know, a lot of the times that's what happens. You know, you go.
2: They know how it
0: works so well. You, you think about you think about that scene in Donnie Brasco. Where Al Pacino as as left, as lefty and he says, you know, you get in the car with your best friend or fuck, I can't remember how the line goes now. But he's like he's like you, you go out You're with right. your best friend and you know, you get whacked and it was your best friend that did it. Like that's that's how it was. I mean you they look came to his friends. Yeah, you look you look through the history
1: that, You look they through said the history. that they come at, they come at what you love. do he say that they come at what you love?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, throughout the history of the mafia, I mean, you had, you know, brothers killing brothers, you know, or you know, narking brothers out, or putting sons, sons fathers putting out hits on sons. I mean, it's, you know, it's it
2: made me think of the
0: Godfather. Right, but I mean, it's it's true. <laughs> it's I was just telling Candy one of you know I was watching. This, there's a documentary on Netflix uh, about the mafia, and. Michael Frances, who you know was huge in the in the '80s and the '90s in the mob. I mean, he was making billions off of uh, uh, gas station. You know, he was they were they were he was funneling taxes from gas stations and oil companies and shit, and making a <laughs> killing. And you know, and that's one of the that's one of the things that uh, he was brilliant, and he ended up getting out of the mob. He found God in, in prison and he's moved to California and he is he is religious. And but he talks openly about his life in the mafia.
2: I guess he thinks God will protect him.
0: And his bro- his brother uh, flipped and their own father put a hit on, on on his brother's life. And so that was kind of what caused him to, like, leave the mafia and, like, go straight because he was like, fuck, my own father. Put a fucking hit. <laughs> Mother <my> like <laughs> that. That would make you re-examine
1: your choices up to that point. If <laughs> your own dad wants you dead, right. Right. Maybe I could have. Maybe I could have made better choices in my life. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like you're. It's really a death wish. You can't really ever leave the mob. It's it's almost unheard of because will fucking kill you if you do. Yeah. Not, because you know so much. I mean, so it was. You guys lucky as fuck.
0: Yeah. I mean, you think about like like you know off topic. You know, but kind of still on topic, John Gotti, you know, he was called the Teflon Don forever because how many times did he go to court and, you know, hung juries or was acquitted, you know, this, that and the other, and they couldn't pin anything on him. And the only reason they got him was because Sammy the Bull Gravano got busted and decided to flip. And told them all kinds of shit about him, and that's what got him...
2: And also knew
0: stuff about Gotti. Right, well, Gotti... So, here, yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, because with Samuel L. Jackson's character, when when he was supposed to take that truck to New Jersey, he was supposed to take that to a fucking junkyard that was owned by John Gotti. Have it crushed. And have it crushed. Yeah. You know, so John Gotti has a hand in this, you know, in this story. Yeah,
2: and John Gotti and Henry Hill knew each other yeah yeah they they, they had some dealings with each other definitely and on that note um,
0: I, I i guess we're doing sean shitty reviews oh <laughs> uh, i love it bring it and
1: yeah boy what the
0: there were, <laughs> I'll tell you what. There were a lot of shitty reviews for this. Who yeah, I can I?
2: imagine. perfect film. What
1: the
0: fuck? You know, it, it surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me because a lot of these are very similar, and you'll 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 understand. So we're going to start off. <laughs> these are all one-star reviews from IMDb. Um, We're going to start off with DVG-757. He says it's overrated, glamorizes violence and crime. That is a common theme here. This is actually quite a nasty film with no likable characters at all. It's made from Henry Hill's perspective, played by Ray Liotta, but I didn't like him. I'm not sure whether he was supposed to come across sympathetically, but he didn't do it to me. The film has some scenes Of extreme violence, which I found pretty distasteful, watching someone get repeatedly, graphically stabbed, having their head bashed in with a pistol butt or having their head kicked in isn't an enjoyable experience for me. Call me weird. (laughs) You're weird. Weird. Yeah. This next one is from uh, Mr. Tambourine Man 72. (laughs) He says trash, trash. Goodfellas makes a strong case for itself as the most overrated movie of the 80s Is that a, that? or any decade. Never in my life have I encountered a film less deserving of its critical and popular accolades. After watching it for a second time recently, I feel every person involved in the picture and particularly Martin Scorsese deserves to be punished severely for inflicting Goodfellas upon me. <laughs> um... <laughs> This one's quite long. I, I may not read the whole thing. We'll see. I may get bored. Bring it. <laughs> this is from Maybe43. Ugly movie. <laughs> on on a personal note, this movie was filmed in part in front of my family's home. The red house across from the Bracco's home in the movie. You know the scene. Ray Liotta runs across the street and pistol whips the na- the neighbor's son oh, who is that's polishing his since I was, in reality, the son who lived across the street, I suppose that was me taking all the punishment. Anyway,
2: That's weird. Go to a psychiatrist.
0: I was home visiting when they filmed for over a month on my street. It was interesting to watch the care, ordering on fanaticism, that Scorsese took in endlessly rehearsing minor scenes and then finally filming them, which leads me to my point. So much time, money, and effort spent to produce such an unpleasant film – Lord knows, it's not that everybody needs to be a Pollyanna. We all are aware how truly wretched life can be. But why spend time watching loathsome, worthless characters act out pointless violence? Okay.
2: His fanaticism – I'm sorry, I got to interject. But, like, (laughs) Scorsese's fanaticism is what made this really brilliant. His attention to detail – you know, all of that is, is part of this absolute patina of brilliance on this
1: film. So, so the guy in that last negative review mentioned that scene with the uh, when the dude, uh, his name was Steve, who raped her, raped uh, Lorraine Bracco's character. He's uh, polishing his Corvette. That scene, if you watch it, it's, it's such a, a visual setup without you don't know anything about Steve except what you see on the screen. He's got that shiny red Corvette. Right. And he's polishing it with his fucking bro buddies and he's even got the like the towel the uh, the the mat that they put um, over the um, the car when you're going to do maintenance on it so you don't scuff it up and it's like branded corvette this guy is a douchebag and yeah. that's part of that scene he's it's like you guy. don't he's the fuck he's a fucking frat bro he's got his bros he's got the yellow eyes out on and to, and henry hill is going to go up there and fucking wha- fucking beat the fuck out of him with this fucking pistol you almost want that to happen because this guy's obviously a douchebag and that's a filmmaker Giving you non-verbal cues to a character, he's showing you what this guy is without telling you anything about it. It's just visual. He's got the fucking Corvette, which is actually a pretty sweet car. But this yeah. guy's obviously—I do. I would kind of like a Corvette. <laughs> but uh, that's that scene is so great. And there's an earlier scene when you meet uh Steve for the first time. He's got his little white Izod tennis shirt on. He's got his little bracket You know. Yeah. That's a great example to me of a filmmaker showing you, giving you character development without really saying anything about the character. It's all visual and it's and it's, and it's little tiny snippets of character. Yeah. yeah. That Corvette, the fact that the Corvette is shiny red Corvette and he's polishing it and Henry Hill just goes over and knocks the fuck out of him. You want that to happen. You want yeah. that because this guy's yeah. obviously a dude. He just raped Karen, he raped her. Yeah. You know, and so Henry Hill is the and the way that uh, uh, Ray Liotta walks across the street with his shoulders sort of tight and hunched, you know, some shit. This is not going to end pleasantly for
2: Christine. <laughs> we like well, yeah.
0: and, uh, and not to not to, to take away from the shitty reviews, but when Ray Liotta filmed that scene, he, his mother had just passed away from cancer. Yeah. And so he took out all of his anger and aggression in that scene. And so that. It's really obvious. It's really obvious. Like that look on his face when he's pummeling this guy with that fucking butt of that gun. <laughs> like that's real. Like he's really fucking angry.
1: I love that he just beat him like eight times. And then he says to him, you know, if you ever touch her again, I'll fuck you. And then he gives him that one to grow on. Boom! One yeah. to grow on, motherfucker. Yeah. Just, oh, boy. Love that scene so much because that motherfucker had it coming. He did. He did.
0: All right, so I'm gonna run through the rest of these kind of kind of quick. Uh, this next one's from Cal Kaler. Uh, most grossly overrated movie ever um, by one of the most overrated directors ever. Mindless, <laughs> incoherent, unceasing violence. Narration is almost always a bad idea in a movie, and this movie is no exception. I was sickened by all the violence and depravity that I just couldn't stomach anymore, and basically skimmed to the end. Just trying to see something redeemable that would validate all the unwarranted hullaboo that was given this piece of crap. That says hullaboo. hullaboo. Um this next one's from Starscream for Ice Cream. Um, which sucks because I actually like Starscream. Um, sick of over-the-top cool gangster movies, me too.
2: There's no
0: one. I am completely burnt out on hearing about what a great movie this is. I watched it for the first time recently and was blown away by the ridiculous, perverse language and big ego. Tough guy mobsters. Yeah, Joe Pesci is the epitome of intimidation. This movie ranks right up there, floating around at the top of the toilet bowl with Scarface. And this morning's morning's used breakfast burrito. Um, My favorite part was when stupid little Joe Pesci gets murdered as the end was undoubtedly near. Untouchables was better. So was Space Jam. Whatever Goodfellas. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever Goodfellas people, your favorite movie of time belongs in the garbage. I'm sorry. Space Jam. This next one's from I Heart Radcliffe. Another pathetic film from Scorsese. Think back. Has Scorsese ever made a good film in his life? No, he hasn't.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he kind of has.
0: You don't even need to think about that one. Does anyone ever wonder why Scorsese has never won an Oscar? It's because the movies he makes are terrible. End of story. In this train wreck of a film, Scorsese has the actors bumble across the screen for two and a half hours, muttering in god-awful Italian accents. Scorsese (laughs) probably thought he could capture the brilliance of the Godfather trilogy when he made this film – to say the least, he failed miserably. I pity those who consider Goodfellas a, pl- a classic. This film is far from it. So if you rent this movie anticipating two and a half hours of an ent- entertainment, approach with caution. Elk Hayden uh, ranks this one star major disappointment. The movie is an insight into mafia life. It shows you that the different characters a gangster could be rather than the so cool impression you get from films like Analyze This. The performances are all excellent, but the movie lacks a solid plot. There's no story to follow or anything to want you to continue watching. I basically kept watching to see if anything cool would happen last minute or something. Um, jazz and me says disgusting the movie slash story is repulsive disgusting movie when I first saw it I was disgusted decades later I'm disgusted again I was curious why this movie still gets such high acclaim so I watched it again now I think I understand why so many claim it's the best movie of all time racists racists and gangster minnow minded would like this movie they get to bust their chops over the dialogue of this crap movie for my character, it's a good thing. Um, well, hold on, let me let me go back a little bit. The laughter was equally repulsive. It was so many years, decades ago when I first saw it, and I'm glad to know I feel still feel the same. Um, I still care about people in this world that found ways to exist without actually communicating with people. We text, we chat, we Facebook snoop. Are we immune or obsessed? I don't know where they're fucking going with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not
1: sure which track where they
0: are. And and last but certainly not least, John Davis 46182. One star, terrible. Gratuitous horrifying violence, persistent profanity, unlikable characters, a story that drags on for 3 hours. It all adds up to a pile of crap. Uh, uh. And mm-hmm. I, I can't agree with any of those people.
2: No, allow me to. <laughs> um, I'll just. Yeah, that'll, 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 that's the segue into my review for this. Um, I have to rate this 10 out of 10 shine boxes. I think this is a perfect film if you are looking for. Like wow, what's a perfect film? I'm a filmmaker, and I wanted to know what a perfect film is. Watch this fucking movie. Yeah, okay. They say fuck a lot, and as a matter of fact, they say fuck like I do five hundred something No, I know. I think it's in the seven hundreds, and and they and half of it is said by Joe Pesci, and I'm totally cool with that because I say fuck that much. I do fuck. So anyway, <laughs> it's a fucking perfect movie. Um, the the cinematography is is just fantastic um beautiful like you know we didn't talk about the shot because there's so much to talk about we didn't talk about the shot where it's like zooming in uh no it's backing away from jimmy and um henry but it's also like zooming in on the background
0: yeah so it's like the jaws shot
2: yeah Yeah. yeah, yes zooming in while pulling the camera
0: back like forced perspective or something like that
2: It's, it's a beautiful shot and we've got that great soundtrack playing at that time So anyway, beautiful shots of, like I said, cinematography, fantastic soundtrack. Um, I don't think this is like a glorification whatsoever. I mean, yes, he did gloss up the, you know, the the story, but it still doesn't, it does not have a happy ending. It, um you know, crime doesn't pay it. it, No way said, yeah, you should go be a fucking mafia person because everybody ended up dead or in jail. Like, I don't think that's glorifying it. I think it glossed it up a little just, you know, for some entertainment purposes and and to uh, show better characterization, which is also done beautifully here. I mean, just, this is a great script. Um, Top notch actors, every detail was perfect. Um, that attention to detail that somebody complained about they called it obsessive. You know what, um, those obsessive directors, they're the best directors that are out there. I mean, they're really showing the attention to detail that like, like Dave was saying that, uh, we get without a word being said or any kind of anything done. And also about when they talk about the narration, I love that free frame narration moments. Well, we only get a couple of them and they're brilliantly done. They're used wisely. And it gives it more of like um you know that that feel that kind of takes you out of it for a minute that you're being told this story. You know, um and and so like okay yeah I'm in I'm, I'm in the moment wait you just pull me back out and then you put me right back in and I like it. And um yeah. So you know, like I said genuinely um some scenes in here that that do terrify me, that do give me chills, whereas I can watch, you know, horror movies. It doesn't bother me. Um, So, uh, yeah, I just... Yeah, everyone's brilliant. Uh, I really wish, you know, this did make a star out of Ray Liotta. He just didn't do a lot. Um, You know, not too much after this. Uh, I mean, he wasn't Hannibal and stuff like that, but nothing that ever equaled this. Um, Yeah, and... uh, yeah, I just I, I think this is a perfect film I've seen a million times and I never get tired of it. So, yeah. Ten and, ten boxes.
0: <laughs> and I'm going to jump in. <clears throat> I'm going to give this 10 out of 10 thinly sliced garlic. <laughs> just absolutely love this film. Um, This is, you know, like I said, one of the all time favorites for me. Um, the casting for this was phenomenal. The soundtrack was great. The cinematography was great. Everything about this film is just fucking great. Um, And it just it it doesn't for me, it doesn't glorify the violence, but it it shows like this is the life of somebody growing up in New York in the 50s. And this the mob was huge. The mob was huge in that era. And there was nothing that the mob didn't have their fucking grimy hands on. You know, they were in the garment district, the taxi service. They were in the fucking, you know, I mean, they were running cement, cement, cement. They were running everything. And, you know, if you didn't want to be a nine to five schlub, you were you were working for somebody in the mob you were you were connected somehow and those they were the money makers back then they you knew somebody who was in the mob because of the way they dressed and the way they walked and the way they talked and you wanted to be that person they were the icons for those you know those young kids growing up in new york at that time period and so you get to see that through you know through the lens uh as henry hill and you know, it's a lot different than, you know, the real Henry Hill. He was a piece of shit, you know, and he he did a lot of things. Once this movie came out, he started telling everybody, hey, I'm Henry Hill. And the feds were like, you know what? You're out. <laughs> we're not protecting <laughs> you anymore. Yeah, you're on your own. Um, but, you know, I think all in all, this this film is it's a, just a great fucking film. It's it's a great vignette into the life and times of people that were connected to the mob, you know, and you see all these movies about, you know, people that were made men in the mafia, but this is a film about somebody who was not a part of the mafia, but was able to operate alongside them, you know? And I just think that, you know, the whole cast did a fucking tremendous job. Scorsese did a great fucking job. He went on to make more fucking mob movies, Um, The Departed and Irishman and, you know, just some phenomenal casino, some phenomenal fucking films and just absolutely 10 out of 10 for me. Thinly sliced garlic.
1: Uh, I'm going to give this 10 out of 10. Shockingly, 10 out of 10 commonly large butcher knives. Because I'm sorry, but that knife he grabs from his mom, that motherfucking knife, it looked like it looked like a rapier. That thing was like 14 inches long. I just love that. I The thing about this movie for me, part of it is that I grew up, I, I did my first 21 years in Birkenfield, New Jersey, which is about 10 miles from New York City. So a lot of the way that these people talk is how I heard people talk growing up. The, the accents, going to the diners, that was a big deal. For me growing up, we would go to these 24 hour diners. You could get anything you want anytime. Of the dad loves going to a diner. They, they, they don't call them diners down here, but um, this, and everybody knew that like the mob was involved. If you saw a cement truck, the big, um, you know, rotating cement trucks. You knew that was probably in the mob. Uh, it, it, and it was just part of growing up. You knew it existed. Not that in, in my life that it, it ever became part of it, but you just knew it was there out there. So I I just love how this movie brings me back home a little bit, especially the way they talk. When I hear when I watch this movie, I swear to Christ, for like a day and a half, I talk. I start talking like these guys. I start getting my Jersey vibe back. Hey, get away. (laughs) And I I, I like that. It feels good, you know, because I've been out of there for a while. But uh, this is I mean, Scorsese, he's a great filmmaker. uh, And it's again, it's a cliche because it's true. He has made so many masterpieces and this is just one of them. You can't you can't say enough about it. It's 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 10 out of 10 all day long. I'll watch this is one of those movies where if you stumble across it, on like cable, when you're like channel surfing, you stop and you, you're that's the rest of your day. I'm going to watch this movie now. I'm done. Yes. I'm going to watch yes. this movie. Yeah. And I love it. I love it so much. It, it, it's funny. It's brutal. It, it's interesting.
2: Yeah. It's it's just a real masterpiece and I don't I don't want to throw that word around too much. I mean, cuz
1: you said right cuz you sound like you sound like you're like fawning over this. But no, this movie deserves the fawning. I'll fawn over this movie all day. Yeah. It deserves
0: it. Well, and you, and it's funny too cuz you say you grew up in Jersey. fucking jersey man that's the cavacante family was there and that's what the sopranos were based on
1: right they were they were in englewood uh englewood cliffs right that's where they were in his house Cliffs. i went to school in englewood cliffs for a year um so i'm from right there so now again not that i'm claiming that i'm part of this world but just i know the way i've the way their accents and the way they talk the way they inflect it brings back such memories yeah i just only wish uh Mac and Rob could have been here because they're from that part of the world too. I would have loved to hear their takes on this.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, who Ch- knows? Uh, Nico it, too. I'm sorry, Nico too.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and who knows what the future holds for you know? There's a lot of movies out there that we could discuss horror business and.
0: I'm sure I could find a tie to Casino or Donnie Brasco somewhere. Uh, I mean, Johnny Depp. I'm, I'm Johnny at- Depp. Johnny Depp is the
1: tie. Johnny
2: to Depp for Donnie, Donnie, Donnie Brasco.
0: Um,
2: I'd much rather do Casino. No.
1: <laughs> like, you know, Back. A, yeah, the, with the pen. It's just that scene with the fountain pen. Oh god. Yeah. Is that a little girl? Do I hear? He's like, do I hear a little girl crying? Oh god. Wow. We suck That's, at like, it. That's such a tough. Oh.
2: Have a midwestern accents. I, spit my I wonder
1: life. how Joe Pesci. I wonder how Joe Pesci feels that in, as an actor, that that's what he's known for. The guy who, like, the psychotic who stabbed the guy with the fountain
0: pen. In the, the guy bar. who keeps
2: winning Oscars. Uh, I yeah. think he feels great. <laughs> yeah, I see, he's
1: probably he's probably okay with it.
0: I I love him and my cousin Vinny, too. Yeah, got an Oscar yeah, yeah.
1: I like that movie. I love my cousin Vinny because I can talk about that with my mother, and she's seen it and she loves it. And it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, because my
2: mom's never it seen this film. I can guarantee you. But yeah, I love Joe Pesci in like fucking everything. So it's well, even Home Alone, even though I don't like Home Alone. But yeah, yeah.
0: oh yeah, you're great. <laughs> um.
2: No, but I'm just saying, like he's fucking Joe Pesci. You know, yeah. he's, he's Joe saying. Pesci.
0: He's Joe Pesci. Well, he's, you just want him to grab Macaulay Culkin and be like, "Who the fuck are you?
1: You, you, do nice. I make you laugh? Am I a clown?" <laughs>
2: i'm funny how um so one more for the perfect score list glad to hear it because i would have been disappointed with anything else um let's talk about what we've got coming up on the show um we will be talking um about scream actually in a couple of days i know a lot of are like, why is it season four and you haven't talked about Scream? Well, we're fucking doing Scream, okay? We're doing Scream. and have well, been uh, busy. There's a Ghoul's Night Out uh, coming up but for Jacob's wife. That's uh, Erica and I uh, doing that. Uh, we will be talking about A Quiet Place, The Conjuring. Um, we have uh another horror business and i know it's pretty soon uh but it's for my birthday my birthday's this month so we are going to be talking about slc punk the tie there is matthew willard uh it's one of my favorite movies of all time and people are like why are they talking about this well you'll hear it's going to be great uh so and then uh the exorcist so but there's more um, I guess we'll go ahead and move into flux. Uh, I wanted to do a couple of shout outs to some other podcasts. We need to do that more often. We usually shout out the same ones, but, uh, there, you know, other people shout us out all the time and I want to return the favor. I would like to shout out Sledgehammer Horror. We um, had Ken and Ashley from that on here recently. Um, that episode will be out already when you hear this. Uh, they did our halloween 2018 episode they will be back for more um i would also like to shout out ghoul friends uh, which is uh, lucy and Lindsay, friends of the show you've heard them um and you will hear me on their show so check them out um also the baron's pine out podcast um they shouted us out and uh, i would like to return that favor Um, They are going to be making an appearance on the show as well. We're going to be working together with them. So lots of new friends. Thank you guys so much for shouting us out. And, uh, you know, we're always here for you. Um, As far as plugs, um, our Twitter is at house underscore screams. We have hit 3,500 followers today on our Twitter. So thank you very much for that. What's interesting is... um, Mm-hmm. We don't get a lot of response on Twitter, but like people like will just retweet us and like our stuff. But like nobody ever like talks much on there. That's okay, because I spend most of my time <laughs> on Instagram. So um, the Instagram is Candy the Final Girl. So just to keep it short and sweet. Uh, also shout out uh, Final Girl Cosmetics US. We have we are going to. I'm sorry, I forgot about this. Um, We're going to be featured in the October box of the Imperf. Uh, I do have a link to that in my link tree, which I'm about to tell you about. But Eric and I also have a new lipstick and um, the slasher palette has arrived. It's not in the shop yet, but hopefully by the time you hear this, it will be. Um, the slasher palette is uh, so far our masterpiece. Uh, but yeah, links to that. Also my link to this link tr.ee slash so candy the final girl.
0: And I'm Sean of the Dead. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sean of the Dead. Um, shout out to Erica, Nico, Rob and Mac, who could not be with us tonight.
2: Thank you for sharing that. I'm
0: so sorry. Um, we love you guys Thank and you. miss you. And we wish you well and can't wait to get you back on to discuss again. Uh, I'm going to shout out um, Rob and Mac uh, for Action Drunkies, uh, an action podcast. Check them out. They both also have their individual podcast. Uh, Rob is doing Wrath of Stath um, about the throat punch king, uh, Jason Statham. And uh, uh, Mac also has uh, All Star Animes, which is going to be coming out soon. Um, Nico, you can find El Jefe de Horror, horror. the boss on Instagram. And Erica is at My Horrific Life on Instagram and My Horrific Life. God, I can't talk. Myhorrificlife dot com, Um, and uh, also shout out to all of our lovely fans uh, that check us out, and um, all of the podcasts that Candy mentioned. And um, for Rob, I will say uh, shout out to Mikey Eight Hands at Atkins Undisputed and Lindsay at Schlock and All because those are the only two I can remember. Larry, oh, and Larry, Larry (laughs) shouted. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Oh, does it mean that okay uh, I'm not gonna yeah uh, just um, I'm uh, Erica Mac Nico and Rob it, it's not the, it's like a, it's like a meal without all the spices you know it's like yeah. it is it's like they, I mean this has been great but without them I mean I need Erica's bookishness I love the fact that she has read every book ever written and She's she just, you know and, and, and Mac uh, it's just I, I could go on but uh, I miss them all. And uh, seek them all out wherever you can find them. Um, the only place you can ever find me is on uh, Facebook posting Mystery Science Theater Quotes because that's what I do. That's the um, life right there. That's my, that's my life. And, yeah, just that's me. I'm so happy to be here. This is the best part of my week. And uh, thank you all for letting me be here. It's a great movie, great uh, company. Love it so much.
0: David, I don't know if I told you this, but all the way back when we did our our mystery science theater and horror uh, episode, that was great. You did oh. Devil Doll, and I had <laughs> oh, I had never watched Devil Doll until and <laughs> you had mentioned a couple of quotes from it, and they fucking cracked me up. So I went, I'd watched it, and I absolutely love that it fucking ne- episode. Oh, I love oh, that. Episode. That makes me so happy. was constantly showing, showing like
1: him. That. I just remember me like bouncing up and down like a little kid going, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" Like yeah. I
2: love it. Well, you knew I had to do some MST3K, and I'm gonna find another way. I think we're gonna do a volume two. Yeah, know? yeah, we're representing. But I think yeah, we'll your do your a-
1: tattoo. Your tattoo fucking rocks. Let me just say that. It was very pre- expensive. <laughs> yeah, they, they're not cheap, but they're that one right there is fucking it was- worth it. Two sessions worth, each three hours. But um, I think we're going to do a
2: volume two of horror and MST3K. There's a plenty of material. Wow. I think it would be I really remember. fun.
1: All I remember from the first one is me just, like, talking real fast and making no sense. I was like, oh, was <laughs> like, like a, really like a
2: one as well, because you
1: know? I was like, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> anyway, I, I loved it. I, and hopefully we'll do it again. It'd be great. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm going to plan that. So uh yeah, awesome. you so much for being here um and yes
1: thank you thank you all yes
2: yeah and um
0: thanks crystal for the moral yeah. support
2: well, yeah but, but oh, crystal, say hi i was like hey crystal she said well, uh, and
0: thank like, you all i know all right. I, love you. I love
1: you guys I love you. I love you. Bye. come on everybody see you guys